0: It's go time. Week one is in the books, and we're back at our regular weekly review of the Canadian Football League here in 2023 as the season gets underway. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Third Down Gamble. Don Charbon, along with Heath Graham. Interesting first week of football in the Canadian Football League. Let's get right to it. Takeaways from week one. Let's start with the quarterbacking. There were quarterbacks that were sort of under review, if you want to call it that, as they started this season. Of these, let us I'll give you some names. Taylor Cornelius of the Elks. Jake Meyer of the Stampeders, Trevor Harris of the Rough Riders, Cody Fajardo of the Alouettes, or Nick Arbuckle of the Red Blacks. Are any or are multiples in trouble if they don't perform well in Week 2?
1: The first one that jumps off the page at me is Nick Arbuckle with the Ottawa Red Blacks. We know Jeremiah Mazzoli will be the number one guy when healthy. Unfortunately for Ottawa, we don't exactly know when that's going to be. He's dealing with some lingering effects of an offseason surgery. Nick Arbuckle, as I said on last week's program, this was his opportunity to prove himself as a starting quarterback and maybe get a look from another team that is looking for a number one guy. He did not show enough, in my opinion, to solidify himself as a number one quarterback in this league. It's hard to put all of those opinions in play on one game, but so far from what he showed, it's a, a tough one for him to be seen as a number one quarterback, in my
0: opinion. The biggest takeaway that I had from that game, especially with Arbuckle's play, underneath, he seemed to be throwing it well, but he wanted to get to Jalen Ackland twice. Twice he threw into double coverage, twice that ball was intercepted. That is almost cardinal sin number one when you're a quarterback. If that safety is drifting toward the receiver that's your target, don't throw that football. He did. Jake Mayer, Calgary Stampeders. Interesting stat coming out from Derek Taylor. The Stampeders offense, 35% of their plays were plays that basically the ball was caught behind the line of scrimmage. Only a small number of plays went down the field in that football game. That is a sign of either one of two things that you've got a stout defense on the other side, they're not giving you anything, or you've got a quarterback that's shy, that has been flustered by something. Look back to Jake Mayer against the lions in the previous iteration of 2022 in the playoff game. Didn't look too good. Hasn't improved from that moment to this.
1: That was the other one I was going to get to as well. Jake Mayer has been anointed the number one guy, the Stampeders benched by Mitchell partway through last season with a six and three record as a starter, so not terrible. And they've they've put all of their hopes and ambitions on the shoulders of Jake Mayer. This is again, this is his opportunity to step up and prove himself as an elite quarterback. We know the Stampeders have a history of developing and nurturing quarterbacks in this league, and we see it again and again through Bolivai Mitchell. And before that, the list goes on. You can go through Dave Dickinson, Danny Barrett, Jeff Garcia. How far back do you want to go in that quarterback, Doug Flutie, the quarterback machine that is the Calgary's down Peters. It's some big shoes to fill for Jake Mayer. And so far, he came out of the gate hot as a quarterback in Calgary, threw for over 300 yards in a lot of his first starts. But he hasn't been there lately. And he's going to have to turn it around to really prove that he is the guy.
0: Let's take a move up the number two to Edmonton. Highway two gets you to the Emerald city and the Elks quarterback, Taylor Cornelius, one big play. But if you total up everything else he did in that game, in terms of pass yardage, it didn't equate to that one big play that he got for the touchdown, 102 yarder to Eugene Lewis.
1: Yeah, that, that's true. And the question mark there is with that great receiving core, how accurate does he need to be? More accurate than we saw if he's going to lead that team to success would be the, the short answer to that one.
0: We mused several times on this show, and I've heard it from other places as well. He could throw it anywhere and there was receivers were supposed to be able to haul it in. Well, we found out that they are mortal and that if you don't put it close enough to them, either the ball goes to ground, the ball isn't caught, or it's intercepted. For Cornelius, this was not a showcase game. And whether or not there is a tremendous amount of pressure as he goes into week two, we'll soon find out. For the Elks, it's it's troubling to see when you've invested in him and he comes out and basically lays an egg against the Rough Riders.
1: We do know that there's a very talented Canadian quarterback waiting in the wings in Edmonton as well, in Trey Ford. So it's a matter of how much leeway does Coach Chris Jones want to give Taylor Cornelius at this time to develop, or does he want to look at the other young quarterback in the stable and give Trey Ford a chance to run things?
0: Cody Fajardo wins against Ottawa, but as evidenced in a replay of one of his errant passes, without any pressure on him, he ducks in the pocket and takes off. Why? If you think back to last year and you're saying that that has an impact on him now, then he hasn't moved very far away from what has happened. He's not trusting his offensive line. Granted, he did get sacked six times, when you've got a huge wall around you and you're standing by yourself and a clock goes off in your head and you say to yourself, I've got to get going without taking a look to see if you needed to. I think that is a little bit unsettling.
1: It is. But as you mentioned, he was sacked six times in that game. He's probably carrying a lot of baggage from last year. The Rough Riders gave up 70 sacks. Last season, so he spent a lot of time running for his life and and picking himself back up off of the turf. I saw enough from Cody Fajardo to think he is going to be the number one guy in Montreal throughout the season. It is a change for him. Granted, he's worked with Jason Moss in Saskatchewan. That's carrying over to Montreal. Uh, it might take him a couple of games to get going, but I believe with that offensive line he's got around him, he will be okay.
0: Trevor Harris. Saskatchewan, not great numbers against the Elks, a horrendous pass in the fourth quarter that didn't do anyone any favors if you were cheering for the green and white. He, of course, injured on the final play of the game that he was participating in. He has mispractice, so there's some questions about him. The other quarterback of note, I guess, if you want to consider it, is as and you sort of alluded to it. it's what's going on in Ottawa. When do we see Jeremiah Mazzoli back? He is practicing again. I don't think the Red Blacks are going to get too anxious to put him in right away. You've got that bye coming up, so there's an opportunity to wait two weeks. But you've got a game before that bye even comes upon.
1: I think you're right. Uh, It's an opportunity to give him one more week of preparation. I would expect to see Nick Arbuckle as the number one quarterback this week. Is Mazzoli going to be healthy enough to be the number two guy in dress for this game? It kind of remains to be seen. But with that bye week coming up, if they can somehow eke out a win, it's going to carry them a long way. If they go 0-2 to start the season before that bye, it does present them with a little bit of a hole. But getting their number one guy back after the bye, healthy and ready to go, can right that ship pretty quickly.
0: Of the games last week, Calgary was probably the one destination that had the smallest crowd watching the football game, especially for opening night. Now, granted, to be fair to the Stampeders, they didn't have the greatest of weather the last few weeks. Everyone's kind of worried about the smoke in the air, all that sort of stuff. So that definitely hampered what was going on. But with the Lions in town, you thought that they would get a bump. They, they came uh, over 18,000, but in a stadium that big, it looks not great so much conjecture about McMahon Stadium itself. And if you've ever been there, if you go through the concourses, that stadium is pretty close to, well, 1966, 67, it was built. So do the math from there. It's the oldest stadium in the Canadian Football League and it's starting to really show its age. In terms of its location, it's fantastic. But are you absolutely conscripted to keep that stadium as is until you find a new site or can you renovate and fix that thing up?
1: I am hesitant to blame the stadium for the low attendance numbers in week one. It's disappointing to see that small of a crowd in Calgary. We know the, the prairies are really the the heartland of the CFL, if you will. It's a lot of fan support throughout 18,000 is a concerning number for a stadium that size. You and I, both being football fans on the prairies, have spent a lot of time at the old Taylor Field and the old In Stadium in Winnipeg, Commonwealth in, in Edmonton. We know the type of stadium that McMahon is. It's not ideal, and there is certainly work to be done on the concourse to make the fan experience better. They're not going to have a new stadium in Calgary overnight, so it would be wise for them to make some investment and some improvement in the meantime, to try to keep that fan experience as positive as it can be until they are able to establish a new home.
0: Well, the Alberta government has already sort of queued up their thoughts in terms of getting the flames a new home. I can't see why the Stampeders aren't included in that. Even if it is a reno of McMahon stadium, the cost for that would be far less than building a brand new stadium. And truthfully, having been to McMahon, I I think it's a great sight line to watch a game from. It is just that concourse area. It has that feel that it's just past its day. That's the frustrating part for me. Everything else about the experience at McMahon is fantastic. They do a great job. I I prefer them to just to renovate and and fix it up, but they're going to need some money from somewhere to do it because that would be an expensive proposition, but building a brand new stadium would be far more expensive. Some breaking news that came out of BC today, offensive lineman Philip Norman suffered what the club termed as a significant medical episode prior to practice. And this was just as they were going through a walkthrough, nothing was really happening. Practice was then cancelled he was driven to the hospital so far he's conscious uh, his EKGs are coming back okay but they're going to hold him overnight to find out more about what went on very very troubling considering that there was really not much activity if any at the time on the practice field a scary
1: moment indeed and, and certainly we hope all the best for Philip Norman and the BC Lions organization, the good news was he did walk off the field with some assistance from other players, but he didn't have to be put on a stretcher or even loaded into an ambulance. They drove him to the hospital in a separate vehicle. All positive things, and, and here's hoping that those tests come back normal or whatever the situation is that they can diagnose and ensure his health. So wishing all the best to Philip Norman and the Lions. Scary indeed, but uh, some positive news so far in the aftermath of the event.
0: In terms of a teaching moment from football, here's something that I saw in the Elks Rough Riders game that I think is a fantastic demonstration of why you do what you do. A handoff was given to Elks running back Kevin Hunt. He goes around the right side. As he's hitting the line, the ball is in his left hand. Once he breaks through and gets some movement to the outside, he shifts the ball to the right hand. Within a few more yards, a punch out from behind, and the ball goes flying out of bounds. Whenever you're near the out of bounds, always have the ball in the hand closest to where out of bounds is. Why? Because on a punch out, And if the ball sails with nobody else touching it, you will retain possession. But if you had it on the inside hand and that ball was punched out, the ball goes towards the middle of the field and your odds of keeping it get less.
1: You're right. It was a textbook move. One of the fun nuances of the CFL is last team to touch it gets possession. And in this situation, a a clean punch out goes to the offense it didn't glance off of anybody else on the way. So the the smartest play, but had it been in that left hand and a punch out, it could have bounced off three or four players on its way out of bounds or stayed in the field of play, in which case there would have been a scramble for the ball and anything can happen. So, um, like I said, it's a really fun part of the, the league. We don't need a solid confirmed possession. Last touch is possession. So, um, a wise wise play, showing that he's been well-coached and pays attention when being coached. Second down.
0: Opening night for the season was June the 8th. That's the earliest ever for a regular season contest. The Lions were in Calgary to take on the Stampeders. Vernon Adams Jr. looked good. Jake Mayer did not. And B.C., Withstood a bit of a rally in the fourth quarter and managed to hang on and win 25 to 15 Adams 28 of 36 in passing, which I thought was a typical Vernon Adams night, Jake Mayer, 20 of 36. That was where the the stumble I believe came. Vernon Adams
1: did kind of a classic Vernon Adams game. As you mentioned, two touchdowns, one interception. So, He's a a guy that's not afraid to get in there and and throw it. 270 yards is a decent night. And I'm just going to double check my math here, but I believe he had eight different receivers catch a pass in this game, which shows the ability to spread the ball around. He had fantastic protection from that offensive line all night, and they did manage to establish a bit of a running game as well.
0: This was something that Calgary was really counting on was Kadim Carey picking up where he left off. Now we're learning from uh, reports we get late today, which is Wednesday, that Carey is going to be put on the sixth game. And if that's the case, then they're going to have to really count on Peyton Logan to take over. Carey seven uh, rushes for 39 yards only. Logan three times for 34 himself. There's no panic button in Calgary right now. They've been through this before. They've gone 0-2 at the start of a season and found their way through it and still finished over 500. That's not the issue for Calgary. But they do have to. And Dave Dickinson, I, I truly admire a coach that will say this to the media. I've got to be better as a coach. A guy who's won a great cup, who's been in the playoffs every year. It's what we mentioned
1: earlier with Jake Merrin. and waiting to kind of see... The development from him as a quarterback having dave dickinson make these kinds of comments that he has to do more as a coach take some of that pressure off jake mayor it gives him an opportunity to learn dave dickinson has seen a lot in his cfl career both as a player and a coach so it's his opportunity to take the responsibility If it's five games down the road and Jake Mayer is still putting up similar numbers and they're struggling, maybe it's not on the head coach at that point. Kadeem Carey being put on the six-game injured list is a huge loss for the Calgary Stampeders. I would say Carey is solidly in the top three running backs in the league, if not the number one running back in this league. Uh, A tough loss early in the season for him to be out. Peyton Logan had a fantastic average, averaging over 10 yards per carry in his limited action. A little bit of a different style than Kadim Carey. A bit more of a scrambling running back, whereas Kadim seems to be more of a power back. So they do have to make some adjustments there to keep that that running game going. On the other side, Taequann Mizell with the BC Lions had a really good game, 12 carries for six – sorry – 12 carries for 81 yards, a 6.8 yard average. I thought he looked really good. And from week one, I would say he's possibly my front runner for rookie of the year if he keeps up what we saw in game one.
0: Game two, we move over to Winnipeg, where an almost sold out IG field. Watch the Blue Bombers hang on to defeat the Hamilton Tiger Cats. 42 to 31. You wouldn't expect that of Winnipeg at home on opening night. A 29 to 4 halftime lead evaporates with two huge turnovers that Hamilton put into the end zone very quickly. One, basically a fumble six, if you want to call that. And the other, the ball taken down to the two yard line one play later. They're in the end zone and the game is on.
1: And a blocked punt for a touchdown. So the Bombers saw almost a season's worth of weird plays going against them in one game. Fortunately for them, Zach Kolaris looked really sharp and put up an amazing first quarter with three touchdown passes. And that really carried the Bombers through. They did have to hang on. At one point it got down to an eight point lead, so a one score game. No panic from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They shrugged off their misfortunes, marched back down the field and got a 51 yard field goal from Sergio Castillo which has further endeared him to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers fans. He was perfect on his converts, perfect on his field goals, and seems to have put that kicking game struggles out the window already in the first game of the season.
0: James Butler for the Tiger Cats, the big off-season signing. Did all right, got a touchdown. I'm sure he would have loved to have been in BC one more time with his four-touchdown game against the Elks on opening night last year. The Thai cats the big question mark around them, Bo Levi Mitchell. And how was he going to adapt to that offense? Well, him and Tim White could not get on the same page. If they do, I think that Thai Cats offense is going to be dynamite.
1: It seemed to be a little bit of a timing issue between... Mitchell and White, there was a couple of opportunities to hit him deep down the field that were either just overthrown or just underthrown. I'm not too worried about by Mitchell after one game. 17 completions for 197 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. I believe he will settle in. You have to give some credit to Winnipeg's defense on this as well. Willie Jefferson had a Willie Jefferson kind of night with couple of sacks, three knockdowns, a forced fumble. He kind of did everything that we would expect to see from him. And Winnipeg's defensive backs were a little bit short on some of those misconnections with Tim White. But they also had some fantastic coverage and some great knockdowns. They were looking pretty solid back there as well.
0: Ty Cats also stopped Terrell Pegram at the goal line on a third down gamble. We'll see how that plays out in another game later, but it certainly helped the Cats gain some confidence. Calaris did what Calaris always does, 21 of 31, 354, and three touchdowns. He is a stats gem.
1: And again, no panic from Zach Calaris. He is probably the most calm quarterback in the pocket in the, in the CFL. If he starts to feel a little bit of pressure, he doesn't, run to the sidelines, he takes a couple of steps one way or the other, gets himself out of trouble and looks for a receiver. That has continued. He's the two-time reigning MOP for a reason and looks to be in great form already to start this one.
0: And this all without their number one free agent signing on the offensive side of the ball.
1: Yeah, we did see Kenny Lawler is on the suspended list here for a couple of games but they managed to spread things around. Nick Dembski had a fantastic first half with over 100 yards receiving and a touchdown. Drew Oletarski with a touchdown catch. Rasheed Bailey didn't see a lot of balls thrown his way, but he did catch one for a touchdown as well. So once Kenny Lawler gets back into that lineup, you have to think that it's only going to improve an already solid-looking offense.
0: Kind of wonder about Carlton Agadosi, who had such a stellar game and is only – Real game last year against the Rough Riders and one catch for 40 yards and otherwise was a non factor for Winnipeg.
1: I think he's going to kind of fill that role that Darvin Adams played for a number of seasons in Winnipeg. He's not going to be the number one target, but he is a deep threat. He's a jump ball threat. And if they don't overuse him, he's going to be a, a great weapon for Winnipeg. The one concern I have from what I've observed. So far, is a little bit in his conditioning. He seemed to tire in that game where he had the couple touchdowns last season. He was only targeted the one time, and it was a 40-yard catch. So if you're using him sparingly, he's dangerous. If if you're targeting him eight, nine, ten times in a game, I think that conditioning is going to
0: come into play. Saturday night at Percival Molson Memorial in Montreal, another huge crowd. And the Alouettes don't disappoint, winning 19-12 to 12 over their arch rivals, the Ottawa Red Blacks. For Cody Fajardo, this was his coming out party, 14-21 of 21 for 261, an average of 18.6 yards per completion, which led the league in week one.
1: That was a great start. We did talk a little bit earlier about what we saw from Cody Fajardo, and it's more... Is he a little bit shell-shocked from what happened last season with that lack of offensive line protection? Looking a lot better in Montreal this year, although you have to give credit to that Ottawa defensive line and linebacking core that did get to him and put some pressure on.
0: Nick Arbuckle, 19 of 35 for 176, but those three interceptions were just huge. Crippling drives for the Red Blacks.
1: They were, and they also struggled a little bit on special teams on the kick-return game. You think of Devontae Dedman and the dangerous player that he is. Montreal special teams' kick coverage was phenomenal to keep him contained all night.
0: The Alouettes' defense, which I kind of trusted would be their strength, was in this football game. The Alouettes, with the win at home, of course, generates some enthusiasm. Ottawa now gets to go home to play their next game. The final game of the weekend, we saw the Edmonton Elks host the Saskatchewan Rough Riders at Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton. A huge crowd, biggest crowd since 2013, over 32,000 to watch this one. It was a defensive struggle, and the Rough Riders, with a huge defensive stand on the goal line in the fourth quarter, hang on and win 17-13. to 13.
1: They did, so between Terrell Pegram and Winnipeg, with uh, second and short, third and short from the goal line, not getting in. And then this game as well, the defensive stand by the Saskatchewan Roughriders. It's amazing to see that many short yardage holds by the defense. That Saskatchewan Roughriders defensive line was phenomenal on that goal line.
0: Kyle Loxley, quarterback of note that was stopped. I'm I take some umbrage a lot of times when commentators say it's a yard you should be able to get a yard by falling forward you you always dismiss in that commentary that the defense is coming at you the other way. So the collision, let's say it's in the middle of that. It's a half yard away. That means you've got to get past whoever is blocking for you, then the defender, to get to the goal line. And trust me, that is a mosh pit of humanity if you're trying to go over the middle. I, I don't like this idea of having the quarterback sneak. I mean, other than points pirates, let's throw that aside just this whole idea that you're bringing in a backup quarterback to score touchdowns for you you're paying your running backs how much you've got another guy that could come in from the bench and be the lead blocker i don't understand this philosophy it it's just it's a mono mono and it's about a touchdown it's not mono e mono when it comes to touchdowns it's about finding a way to score
1: statistically the analytics must say that a quarterback sneak is your best opportunity to score a touchdown on a one-yard or two-yard situation. We saw repeatedly attempts to go up the middle. Loxley did a, did try to go to the left of the offensive line on that last play and just got swallowed up by the Riders' defense. A little more creativity maybe from those offensive coordinators is on its way because right now those defensive lines have figured out how to plug up the middle and not give up that one yard.
0: There is no deception when you've got nobody in the backfield. None. Leave a back, leave two backs in the backfield. Make the defense guess. Then their gaps get a little bit wider because they've got to protect the edge. It doesn't make any sense to me. George Reed made a living out of getting the ball from Ron Lancaster and going over Willie Burden in Calgary. George Dixon in Montreal. These were all guys that could get you that yard or two.
1: The one that is surprising a bit is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. As I said, Terrell Pigram stuffed on two opportunities going up the middle. We see their offense from anywhere on the field will have two or three guys in motion in the backfield they'll have their running back but they might toss it to Dembski they might toss it to Rashid Bailey on an end around you don't know what they're going to do and you can't tell me that because they're on the goal line things change that much those guys have speed and power and a really wide field for the def- defenses to try to defend in those situations a little bit of a risk perhaps but worth it to see if that changes the narrative on those second and third and goals.
0: Brady Oliveira in week one, he's the only guy that I know that cracked that a hundred yard barrier. I don't understand why you're not giving it to him and let him find the hole. Trevor Harris of the Rough Riders, 20 for 33 for 179 yards, a one touchdown pass and two interceptions. But the one that I'm curious about is Taylor Cornelius, 13 of 25, 202, a touchdown and two picks. That's that's the tough one.
1: Trevor Harris again, from what we've seen in the past, struggled to get the ball in the end zone. He moved up and down the field reasonably well. One touchdown pass and a couple of interceptions. So those red zone struggles are continuing for Trevor Harris, despite the change in location. And there are some question marks about his health, given the last play of the game on offense, he got knocked around really badly, seemed to be favoring his hip or his side coming off the field. The commentators were questioning why he was out there in that situation. I don't necessarily think you want to go to anybody else. He was trying to convert for a first down, which would have run out the clock. The play calling was a, was maybe a little bit more suspect than continuing to have your starting quarterback on the field.
0: They weren't looking to get the first down. What the Rough Riders were trying to do was have Harris hang onto the ball long enough and then throw it high enough and let it arc. And by the time it hits the ground, the clock would have ran out. Now, because blocking broke down on his left side and there was pressure, he rolled out and just got rid of it quickly. But had the play worked the way that they, it's designed to do, You're supposed to be able to kill the clock by having the quarterback sort of buy a little bit of time and then throw it high and not worry about it ever getting caught.
1: They were two seconds shy of it being a perfectly executed play.
0: Henry Burris did it one time with the Calgary Stampeders in the same sort of situation where he was supposed to kill the clock. And in his situation, he didn't have anywhere near the pressure, but he threw the ball away too quickly. And there was one second left on the clock. And that was a, Scary one second because they were on the Calgary side of the field when that play went off.
1: Third down.
0: Four games on tap in the Canadian Football League. We start in Ottawa with the Stampeders. Despite their offensive woes, our 6.5 favorites heading into the nation's capital. Thoughts on that?
1: That's a pretty big spread for a road team to have, especially this early in the season, coming off of a loss. But I am going to pick Calgary to not only win this one, but cover the spread. I believe Nick Arbuckle's struggles continue for Ottawa. I don't think they're as sharp as they need to be yet at this point. And this is an opportunity for Jake Merritt to bounce back against a team that they should be able to beat. The only thing that really scares me right now is that Ottawa defense. If they can put some pressure on Mayer, that might be a a bit of a closer game, but I'm taking Calgary covering that six and a half.
0: I'm going to go with the red blacks at home. They are on a 12 game losing streak themselves incentive. Yes. Arbuckle used to play for the Stampeders. Ottawa typically plays Calgary very tough in Ottawa. I'm going to take Ottawa against the spread. Pat has sent in his picks. He's going the same as you, Calgary covers, and so does Andrew of, Andrew Hoskins of the Turf District podcast who I I remissed in not including his stats from last week. He went two and two, but he uh, has sent his in and he's going with the Stampeders as well in Ottawa. So interesting, the the road team with a minus 6.5, that's pretty rare, getting that much love. Friday night, speaking of road teams that are getting a lot of love, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are minus 6.5 going into Regina at Mosaic Stadium to take on the Rough Riders. Recent history has shown that the Bombers know how to win in Regina, whether it's playoff or regular season games.
1: Battle of the Unbeaten in Week 2 with the 1-0 Bombers against the 1-0 Rough Riders. I saw enough of Zach Calaris and those weapons from Winnipeg last week that I am confident that they come into Saskatchewan, continue their winning ways at Mosaic stadium and win by at least a touchdown. So they're going to come in, cover that spread in Saskatchewan's home opener.
0: I'm with you. I can't see how Saskatchewan is going to beat them. The one thing that I was thinking about while I watched the Elks and the Rough Riders, granted, they were closely matched. Granted, the game was a well-fought, Defensive And it, it felt like a playoff game. Like the, the hitting, the intensity was all there. And you could kind of, Jim Barker kind of alluded to it, that both of these teams have tough schedules coming up. They needed something to get going, as it was for the Elks. And I'm, I know they're sick of this, but 18 in a row lost at home is unbelievable for a, a franchise as historic as that. It's just, it's, I can't fathom What's going on in the minds of the coaching staff, the players, the head office, it, it's just got to be gut-wrenching to see that happen. One thing about football and life is that these are all temporal things. The day they win, that's it. It's, it's in the past. I'm going to pick Winnipeg to cover. In fact, of the four of us, the only one that doesn't pick Winnipeg to cover in Regina is Pat. He's saying they'll win but not cover.
1: He's got a lot more confidence in that rider's defense than the rest of us by the sounds of things.
0: That's going to be the key to this whole game is whether that Saskatchewan defense can keep Winnipeg at bay. If they can't, there's no way that Saskatchewan offense is going to scare the Blue Bombers. If this game isn't 20-17, to you know what it's going to be. Saturday night, Edmonton goes into BC where they had a horror film of games last year getting absolutely destroyed by the Lions both times they were there. Lions at home, minus 7.5 against the Elks. Vernon Adams Jr., I'm championing him because I do believe that he is a good enough quarterback to take that Lions team anywhere they need to go. I, I still point back to his days in Montreal with Kahari Jones as his head coach and Weren't the Alouettes just the best thing on grass to watch? I mean, they were just unbelievable. You never, ever counted them out in any football game. And you've got that kind of guy that has that kind of grit that doesn't want to lose at any cost, that just always thinks there's a way to win. Then I'm, I'm with the Lions. I'm saying the Lions cover.
1: I'm taking the Lions to win, but not covering this one. Vernon Adams is a, Flashy and exciting quarterback. He has a tendency at times to get himself into a little bit of trouble. I think that's going to come into play in this one. Possibly two or three interceptions keep it close. The Lions do get the win, but I believe that the Elks keep it close enough to beat that spread. Now, one player to watch, Dylan Mitchell, made some bold statements before the season started, saying he wanted to be a 2,000 yard receiver. He started week one with one reception for negative five yards. So the task has gotten even longer. He now needs 2,005 yards over the next 17 games to hit his goal. We'll see what happens there. The compliment to Eugene Lewis he needs to get himself going. One catch for negative five is not good enough and not where he needs to be.
0: Eugene Lewis, of course, went for over 150 himself, 102 on one play with a touchdown reception. Andrew kind of agrees with that whole notion that BC can win, but they won't cover. Pat is taking the Lions to win and cover. Sunday, the Argonauts unveil their championship banner, celebrate the 2022 Grey Cup at BMO Field, and their arch rivals, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, are in town, the team that will be hosting this year's Grey Cup just down the road tie cats are minus 2.5 favorites this started out as the argos being the favorites on monday and it has morphed into a tiger cats being the favorite at minus 2.5 it's telling me that the betting crowd isn't sure what to make of this game because the argonauts are kind of an unknown going into this the defense is stout they're good no problem but what are they going to get out of their quarterback play
1: Interesting that six teams will have two games under their belts before the Toronto Argonauts hit the field for the first time as they're the last game of the week. Everybody is curious to see what Chad Kelly does leading that offense for the Toronto Argonauts. Myself, I'm picking the Tiger Cats to win this one on the road. I think the road warriors are going to have a big week of picking three or four road teams to come away with the win. And in this one, they are going to cover that two and a half it's only a a field goal is enough to cover the spread and I believe that Bo Levi Mitchell gets things going the right direction for the Tiger Cats and they pull this one
0: off I'm going the other way no I'm not I'm thinking Hamilton will be upset if it is an upset I, I just have a lot of faith also in Bo Levi Mitchell and he's a driven individual he wants to do the best he can for his new club and Andrew has gone with the Argonauts, Pat has gone with the Argonauts. So two people think that the Thai Cats can't cover, two people do. Just quickly from last week, Heath, you were right on three of four, Pat three of four, Andrew two of four, me just one of four. What does that tell you? Whatever I have to say, don't listen. For listening to our show, Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching.
1: Gosh. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by. Canadian Football League Player and Game Statistics, for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.